Well, hello, creeps. Shop's closed. And I'm just sitting here by the fire, warming my bones. But I guess you already knew that, since you decided to follow me here. Can't seem to get enough of your dear old shopkeeper, eh? Can't say as I blame you. I am quite charming, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> they say I'm a real lady killer. <laughs> that reminds me, I was just about to dust off the old book collection. <laughs> Ah, here we are. This one was written by Richard Barham Middleton. Good old Dick was an English poet and author born in 1882, who is fondly remembered for his short ghost stories and tales of the supernatural. This one is about a stage performer who gets his big break and seemingly makes a fool of himself. But his finale surely makes up for it. <laughs> so, go ahead, you're already here. You might as well have a seat by the fire and join me as I recite The Conjurer. Certainly the audience was restive. In the first place it felt that it had been defrauded seeing that Sissy Bradford, whose smiling face adorned the bills outside, had failed to appear. And secondly, it considered that the deputy for that famous lady was more than inadequate. To the little man who sweated in the glare of the limelight, and juggled desperately with glass balls in a vain effort to steady his nerve, it was apparent that his turn was a failure. And as he worked, he could have cried with disappointment, for his was a trial performance and a year's engagement in the Hennings group of music halls would have rewarded success. Yet, his tricks, things that he had done with the utmost ease a thousand times, had been a succession of blunders, rather mirth-provoking than mystifying to the audience. Presently, one of the glass balls fell crashing onto the stage, and amidst the jeers of the gallery, he turned to his wife, who served as his assistant. I've lost my chance, he said with a sob. I can't do it! 
Never mind, dear. She whispered. There's a nice steak and onions at home for supper. It's no use, he said despairingly. I'll try the disappearing trick, and then get off. I'm done here. He turned back to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, he said to the mockers in a wavering voice. I will now present to you the concluding item of my entertainment. I will cause this lady to disappear under your very eyes without the aid of any mechanical contrivance or artificial device. This was the merest showman's patter, for as a matter of fact, it was not a very wonderful illusion. But as he led his wife forward to present her to the audience, the conjurer was wondering whether the mishaps that had ruined his chance would meet him even here. If something should go wrong, he felt his wife's hand tremble in his, and he pressed it tightly to reassure her. He must make an effort, an effort of will, and then no mistakes would happen. For a second, the lights danced before his eyes. Then he pulled himself together. If an earthquake should disturb the curtains and show Molly creeping ignominiously away behind, he would still meet his fate like a man. He turned round to conduct his wife to the little alcove from which she should vanish. She was not on the stage! For a minute, he did not guess the greatness of the disaster. Then, he realized that the theater was intensely quiet, and that he would have to explain that the last item of his program was even more of a fiasco than the rest. Owing to his sudden indisposition, his skin tingled at the thoughts of the hooting. His tongue rasped upon cracking lips as he braced himself and bowed to the audience. Then came the applause. Again and again, it broke out from all over the house, while the curtain rose and fell, and the conjurer stood on the stage, mute, uncomprehending. What had happened? At first, he had thought they were mocking him, but it was impossible to misjudge the nature of the applause. Besides, the stage manager was allowing him call after call as if he were a star. When at length the curtain remained down and the orchestra struck up the opening bars of the next song, he staggered off into the wings as if he were drunk. There he met Mr. James Hennings himself. You'll do, said the great man. That last trick was neat. You ought to polish up the others, though. I suppose you don't want to tell me how you did it. Well, come in the morning and we'll fix you up a contract. 
And so, without having said a word, the conjurer found himself hustled off by the vaudeville Napoleon. Mr. Hennings had something more to say to his manager. A bit rum, he said. Did you see it? It's the queerest thing we've ever struck. How was it done, do you think? Can't imagine it. There, one minute on his arm, gone the next, no trap, uh, curtain, or anything. Money in it, eh? It's the biggest hit of the century, I should think. I'll go and fix up a contract. Get him to sign it tonight. Get on with it. And Mr. James Hemmings fled to his office. Meanwhile, the conjurer was wandering in the wings with the drooping heart of a lost child. What had happened? Why was he a success? And why did people stare so oddly? And what had become of his wife? When he asked them, the stagehands laughed and said that they had not seen her. Why should they laugh? He wanted her to explain things and hear their good luck. But she was not in her dressing room. She was not anywhere. For a moment, he felt like crying. Then, for the second time that night, he pulled himself together. After all, There was no reason to be upset. He ought to feel very pleased about the contract. However, it had happened. It seemed that his wife had left the stage in some queer way without being seen. Probably to increase the mystery, she had gone straight home in her stage dress and had succeeded in dodging the stage doorkeeper. It was all very strange, but, of course, there must be some simple explanation like that. He would take a cab home and find her there already. There was a steak and onions for supper. As he drove along in the cab, he became convinced that his theory was right. Molly had always been clever. And this time, she had certainly succeeded in surprising everybody. At the door of his house, he gave the cabman a shilling for himself with a light heart. He could afford it now. He ran up the steps cheerfully and opened the door. The passage was quite dark, and he wondered why his wife hadn't lit the gas. Molly! He cried. Molly! The small, weary-eyed servant came out of the kitchen on a savory wind of onions. Hasn't Mrs. come home with you, sir? She said. The conjurer thrust his hand against the wall to steady himself, and the pattern of the wallpaper seemed to burn his fingertips. Not here! He gasped at the frightened girl. Then, Then where is she? Where is she? I... I don't know, sir. She began stuttering, but the conjurer turned quickly and ran out of the house. Of course his wife must be at the theater. 
It was absurd ever to have supposed that she could leave the theater in her stage dress unnoticed. And now, she was probably worrying because he had not waited for her. How foolish he had been. It was a quarter of an hour before he found a cab, and the theater was dark and empty when he got back to it. He knocked at the stage door, and the night watchman opened it. My wife! He cried. There's no one here, sir. The man answered respectfully for he knew that a new star had risen that night. The conjurer leant against the doorpost faintly. Take me up to the dressing rooms, he said. I want to see whether she has been there while I was away. The watchman led the way along the dark passages. I shouldn't worry if I were you, sir, he said. She couldn't have gone far. He did not know anything about it, but he wanted to be sympathetic. God knows. The conjurer muttered. I can't understand this at all. In the dressing room, Molly's clothes still lay neatly folded as she had left them when they went on stage that night. And, when he saw them, his last hope left the conjurer, and a strange thought came into his mind. I should like to go down on the stage, he said, and see if there's anything to tell me of her. The night watchman looked at the conjurer as if he thought he was mad. But he followed him down to the stage in silence. When he was there, the conjurer leaned forward suddenly, and his face was filled with a wistful eagerness. Molly! He called. Molly! But the empty theater gave him nothing but echoes in reply. You've been listening to The Shopkeeper Presents, and this was the tale of The Conjurer by Richard Middleton. Voice talents featured in this episode included... Mike Askey as The Conjurer, Marty Anderson as Molly, Nathan Waltering as Mr. James Hennings, Chase Coupo, co-host of Back Row Movie News, as The Manager, Jocelyn Chen as The Servant, and Doug Hess as The Night Watchman. Featured music was composed by Mayu and Kevin McLeod, under a Creative Commons license. Attribution can be found in the show notes. Post-production and editing by Matthew Bird. Cover art illustrated by Bill Pittenger. 
Shopkeeper Presents, in conjunction with Horror Shop Radio, has been a production of Horror Shop Films and Innovation Cinema Productions. Copyright 2021.